From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. David Bazan was once known as the first crossover Christian indie rock musician. His band, Pedro the Lion, sold hundreds of thousands of records. Then Bazan began questioning the God he sang about, alienating many of his fans. It was a dissonance that my mind just couldn't deal with. I killed it, and along with it, I killed my career. Just driving around, playing solo shows, trying to think through it. That's the myth of a powerful movement like American Evangelical Christianity. The interpretation that seems universal is the real thing. So in the end, I realized that I was challenging nothing more than an institution. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection podcast series. This week, we have a special conversation that was recorded a few months ago uh, with two of my friends, director Brendan Vetter and re-recording mixer Tony Villaflor. The film is now available to watch on iTunes, Amazon, YouTube, Google Play, and Microsoft Store. And you can find out more at strangenegotiationsfilm.com. And I'd love for you, Brandon, just to share what was it about this uh, story and what really captured your interest? Why, why did you want to tell it? Yeah, that's a good question because, it's you know, music is, is where I started. Shooting music, shooting live music, playing live music. You know, like music was the first kind of artistic language that I understood and understood how to communicate through um and then faith you know faith and these these big questions the questions of the existential nature you know and just kind of um wonder you mm-hmm. know, wondering i've always had a posture of wondering since i was a kid and been interested in faith in this the power uh you know this this very uniquely human thing that has this power to start wars or, you know, make people sacrifice themselves for each other. Beautiful and horrible things are all done in faith, you know? And so these two things that I've always been so interested in, I I kind of found coming together and being talked about in such an interesting way by this musician, David Bazan, who we connected on early. In, in the process. Um, Tony's a big fan um, as well. And so, yeah, the way that, that David Bazan, who's the musician, who grew up as an evangelical Christian and uh, kind of made music within that world, within that culture, and became very popular, was kind of like the biggest Christian, uh, like, indie rock band. Not, not, not like labeled Christian, but mm-hmm. was in that world. Um, and, you know, as he got older and as he continued making art, he, you know, was pushing into this faith system um, in a way that eventually led him to being on the outside of it, pulling on the strings in a way um, that it stopped making sense for him. You know, and uh, it's a story that we see a lot, but what we don't see a lot is this kind of ability it, it the process of it mm-hmm. and and it being done by someone that is incredibly gifted when it comes to communication mm-hmm. you know it's like and and that's the way that i've always looked at the film is dave is our kind of everyman he's the guy that can say feel create the things that most of us feel um but could never express and so yeah it's a film that follows him after he's lost his faith which happened kind of publicly and he lost most of his fan base um and his ability to play to large audiences he lost his band mm-hmm. um and we kind of follow him through this this desert kind of 
journey. Um, and yeah, we, you know, through art, faith, politics, kind of through the lens of this guy. Okay. So for you, Tony, when Brandon first reached out to you, what were your thoughts? Because a documentary film is not typically what you're working on. I actually uh, reached out to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so then, okay, that's a different scenario in that case. So how did you hear about the project? And then why, why did you reach out to Brandon about the film? Well, I was a fan of Dave's music for a long time. Yeah. Um, grew up, listened to a lot of Pedro the Lion, stuff like that, and then his solo stuff. And I've seen him live a ton of times. Okay. Been to a bunch of house shows and stuff like that. And I'm on the mailing list. And I think it came mm. through on a mailing list thing, like that there's this doc mm. coming out. So I figured... Why not? I don't know how I got in touch with you, like on the Kickstarter or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, don't know, I just I figured it'd be cool to work on. It'd be kind of a passion project kind of thing, and a little bit of a departure from what I normally work on, but it'd be fun to do. You know what I mean? And, yeah. yeah. So, so how early on did you reach out to Brandon? Then when was that? I don't know at what point you were in. If you you'd already you were editing it, I think. I think the first time he was editing, he was editing <laughs> as he shot it. Yeah. No, I'd, I definitely hadn't finished right. shooting. Oh, shooting. Okay. I think I maybe had just started editing. Yeah, because I had to have started editing to do the little Kickstarter piece. But okay. so it was the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Still had no idea how much longer we'd be shooting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we started these conversations very, very early in terms of kind of, you know, the sonic landscape type stuff. Okay. Which I think was kind of cool and helped that we started talking about like, sound and stuff like that so early yeah in the process so when you were cutting it and editing it and putting it together like that you could keep the sound and how that would you know go through as a thread totally in mind and stuff like that you know totally yeah tony had me up to skywalker maybe just a couple of weeks after you first reached out and we had lunch um and we're able to talk through a lot of this stuff in a way that you know it was like we were able to begin this collaboration and and your ideas and my ideas were able to start kind of coming together like you're saying in a way that actually affected what i continued to capture mm. and the direction of kind of you know the film was going so it was fun and i actually remember you you talking about that at that lunch like this is crazy like i've never gotten to be you know like involved in something this early um, and you said like sound was going to play a huge part in it which it did of course it's like music related thing but it also, it was done in an interesting way where like it was super introspective and stuff like that. And it's not, it wasn't like a just informational kind of documentary where you have dialogue and there's music there to kind of support that and stuff like that. Like there's more of a narrative with the sound and stuff like that. So it was cool to be able to talk about that stuff really early on. Yeah. Talk about like trying to get inside Dave's head and trying to transition to these different pieces and stuff like that. So it was, it was helpful to have those conversations really early on yeah. in the process and stuff. So do you guys think that those early conversations, like how did that influence your direction when how you're shooting or how you're thinking about the sequences? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it helped me understand what was possible, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, just that I would have, I, I was able to kind of have a tone in my head and, and a certain sound palette in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, while we were shooting where it's like I, I would understand how this would translate through the edit to, you know, sitting at the board with Tony kind of thing, um, you know, and, and what we would do in terms of sound effects and stuff. So it was cool because it, it, was, it gave me the tools I needed to kind of take it all the way through. Mm -hmm. 
and you know it it allowed me to get kind of weird in different spots too because knowing having the confidence of having tony on the team you know um yeah it was just like okay this is i know that we can achieve these things mm-hmm. uh it, it's not just you know chasing after the wind mm. so, so tony for you so like when you think about spotting or even just understanding what a documentary could be and like what can you do in those early stages like can you really have that much in do that much work like you have to really have to wait till like, pictures lock or like when I mean, not quite locked, yeah. but it, it was just helpful having conversations about things okay. really early on. You know what I mean? Because I didn't see anything for a while, I don't think. But Damn. just listening to you talk about what you wanted to wanted it to be mm. and how you wanted it to be different yeah. and how you wanted to sound, how you wanted sound to play a part in how different it was. Mm. Like you didn't want it to sound like your classic documentary you want it to be something a little different than that mm-hmm. um do you think do you think like from from that suggestion at the very beginning to kind of like now where we're at does that like how, <laughs> yeah how does that feel does it feel like that's what you kind of expected we would be doing or was it completely different or was it i mean it, it kind of ended up being what i expected and what i was more comfortable with almost mm. because it feels like more theatrical cinematic mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah in a sense in, in the way that we use like the sound design to kind of like make it more personal right. in some spots and yeah. we use the music to kind of tell tell a narrative in some spots and stuff like that so. well and that was one thing uh michael when mm. you know in talking with tony super early one of the cool things was you know having this idea to get all the stems of all this music, you know, broken down to the most bass form of it, where it's just the bass or just this, right. even an overhead mic or whatever, which is so hard to do in most cases, especially for an artist like Dave, who's been on so many different labels and, you mm. know, is unorganized in certain ways or whatever. And so, like, if we wouldn't have started that early we would have never got it and we would have just worked with what we had so i mean what did what was dave able to get you that you could start working with of some of that more legacy uh catalog i mean we we ended up with with true stems for almost everything amazing i think okay yeah from the original recording yeah and do you think i mean i know in your edit you were kind of tearing apart stuff but then when it came to the mix part did you find tony that that's having that much flexibility is useful. Oh, it was great. Like remixing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was awesome. It was, it was fun to have all that stuff. Yeah, sure. So you yeah. can kind of mix it. There was all stereo stuff. Yeah. So it was fun to mix that stuff in a five, one environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just like a personal fun. kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, sure. But also you have the flexibility to like not be tied to the format of that song. You could repeat things. So like the, the beginning is a mm-hmm. good example where you can, you can match it to the picture and you mm-hmm. can make it more drawn out yeah. if you need. Hello again. Oblivion. But it's no good to complain of fatigue and existential Do and then get into the section of the song you want to so that that lyrical passage can be for that story you're trying to tell oh, right there and get out of it and stuff like that. So it was good to have the flexibility mm-hmm. with everything, yeah. Totally. For you, Brandon, I mean, this isn't your first documentary that you've directed or been a part of, so what was unique about how you 
you approached it, how you tr- treated it, like in your edit or post-production or like what was maybe different, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question because <clears throat> all the films have been pretty sound-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one of them was that I was a little bit scared of and I think that a lot of, you know, filmmakers and people just cr- in creative fields like are scared to to kind of try um, the more complicated version of the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a great way to put it. What I'm, what I'm talking about specifically is, you know, I knew that uh, doing these interview type things, you know, because there's not really interviews in the film. Right. But these, these interview type things would happen the best in the car. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like the best, like... I got nothing to do for the next 12 hours. Let's set up a camera and just just shoot the shit, which is what happened. Totally. Terrible audio. Terrible audio environment. (laughs) You need a, yeah, you need a certified car. And it's, you know, but it was one of those things where I think I learned because at the very beginning it was like, okay, is this a bad idea? Am I shooting myself in the foot by having my kind of main version of him spilling his guts in this noisy thing? And then it was like, no, there's always a way, mm. you know, like, I think it's, it always has to be story and access first and technical later, you know, there's always a way. Right. And so I remember I went and researched, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know. Do we talk about this early <laughs> oh, on? We, I went and researched and found the quietest interior cabin of a car. Mm-hmm which was a Toyota Sienna. Good, yeah. And so I went and found a Toyota dealership in Murphy, Murphy, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, outside of Nashville, yep. Tennessee, and rented that car for our first shoot. Was it quiet? And it was very quiet. Okay, all right. <laughs> and and I had it, you know, like mic'd up. I had... Yeah. Um, What'd you do? A, a, a friend of a friend was, you know, like, dude does uh, location mixing on yeah. big, big Transformers action movies and shit. And so he he came over and helped me kind of think out where to put mics, yeah. which evolved as it went sure. um, because it just didn't make sense or whatever. But I think that was a big thing is just like you can you can sidestep so many things that are going to give you the, the real moments of a thing. Um because you're scared of the technical challenges Mm -hmm. and for this that that is the first thing that comes to mind um among i mean yeah we could i could go on and on about them but for you guys like how did you figure out your production timeline how much how many days did you mix how did you figure out your dialogue cleanup like how do you work backwards against a looming south by southwest premiere date once you knew that that's where it was going to play you know i think we just jumped in there man i think we decided (laughs) somehow uh, that we had five days to mix, I think. And we just kind of did it. Five days to do your mix? But you, you had dialogue editing before then? Yeah, Joel uh, cut the dialogue. I'm not sure how long. We were all kind of just like jumping in there and doing it yeah. when we could and stuff like that, yeah. you know? So it was really helpful to have Joel on. Like at first I was like, ah. I mean, he's going to get you a head start so you're not going to have to touch and worry about cleaning up little futzes and stuff in the dialogue. Yeah, like little edits and stuff yeah. like that. And, you yeah. know, it, it would be a smooth piece and stuff like that and then you just have to kind of clean it up from there mm-hmm. but even with like the cleanup stuff like some of that that stuff's okay like the noise is okay as long as like it, like dave has a really distinct voice so you yeah. gotta like keep that and like right. the noise is is fine yeah like as long as you can hear what he's saying right like the noise is fine especially i mean i think that's true 
for like a lot of features too mm-hmm. like noise is fine noise isn't that big of a deal as long as like yeah. you can hear what they're saying and it's a smooth noise right. it's <laughs> not just like going in and out and stuff like that so yeah and we do have we i wanted it to be like cinematic and theatrical in a way but like it is a documentary so you can kind of get away with mm. the reality mm-hmm. of things like you're in a car right so it's okay if it sounds like he's so in a car. what did you find like after the first day like how did you guys feel what, what was like what do you remember of like uh, I remember after the first day being like, oh, I wish I had more time. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah. But um, we had, I had seen your cut a lot at that point. Mm. And I had heard all the stuff that Jeff did. And I kind of had an idea of what it was and like what, what the pieces were mm-hmm. and how it was going to fit together in a sense. Yeah. Um, and I think I just took it in like broad strokes passes okay. at, at first like get a pass of everything working together in a way and then going back around the horn and kind of fine tuning things and like diving in and you know getting a little more experimental with some of the uh like the transitions and stuff like that so yeah Yeah. brandon how did you find it was for you in terms of how you prepped because you're doing it all in premiere how did you prep your tracks how did you do you guys place temp music was everything pretty locked how far do you take it yeah i think we had um we had all the music locked. I tried to take it. I tried to take it in terms of the the uh, effects, you know, tracks and the mix, just to a level where it's like they would know what I meant, mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know. Where it's like this is the best I can do. I don't. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time like trying to perfect it because that's not what I'm good at. Yeah, sure. You know, like I just wanted to get, you know, the wireframe there, okay. where it's like this is this is what I think this is a place to start from and, you know, like, and then watching, you know, these guys fill that in and, you know, it's like Jeff started, you know, like figuring out like these crazy tape loop stuff. And, you know, it's just like everyone wants the kind of like, we got into the zone, like these ideas would start popping up and it was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's why you work with genius people that (laughs) bring something to the table that wasn't in your brain, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's like, the most life-giving, you know, energy-giving kind of exciting part of the thing. Mm. So you knew that you were going to use all of Dave's music, but did you have a composer on top of that? Yeah, so it's it, it worked out in a really interesting way, um, and I think it was okay. I think it is okay. I know it's okay. I love it. <laughs> but, I, you know, it's... Who was it? it, it well, so it was this kind of a weird amalgam. Um, and the reason why I say it's okay is because really the musical voice is Dave, obviously. And so it's, it it becomes hard to kind of have such a strong musical voice outside of that. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening is there's, um, where we use music, um, and score from, from two or three other artists. Um, yeah. I mean, the main ones were Sean Galloway, who's a composer right. uh, that I worked with in the past, and he composed original music for it. And then Andy Othling, um, who is an ambient musician, brilliant, goes by lowercase noises. Um, we used a bunch of existing stuff okay. from him. Yeah, one of the biggest elements of the film uh, is Sean Lane, who's Dave's drummer oh, in nice. Pedro the Lion, and he created this this 
instrument that he calls the bike that it's based off of like the frame is a bike frame and he has welded to it all this crazy shit and it's all going through you know like pedals and he's doing bow mm. stuff on it and you the know. textures and other stuff, stuff like that yeah yeah and so he so he did a record called the bike that i that i borrowed from pretty heavily and then he and Dave also did a live tracking throughout the entire film mm. where they just watched the film on mute or they watched the film without any yeah, without any music, music yeah. and just played and did real you, time. Did you end up using that? Anyway? Yeah. Really? Yeah. We, oh, dipped, wow. we dipped in and out of it. And the cool thing about that was Dave was kind of, uh, you know, directing Sean. And when he he said, this is what it sounds like inside my head. Oh, wow. And it was like, oh, wow. Okay. What did you find maybe day three, day four, when you have, you know, time? Like, how do you prioritize the focus? How do you conceive of, like, this is the first priority? How do you how do you break up, you know, a five-day mix? Oh, man, that's a good question. Do you start from the top and just do everything, like, bulldoze through? Yeah, just because you don't have time, really, on your side. So you do have to, like, for me at least, I was like, okay, I got to get through a pass. Yeah. For sure. Let's just just get so it. I can yeah. get something on tape and yep. make sure, like, broad strokes wise like all the all the emotional content that we had talked about for months is there the narrative um between the songs dave's story that stuff's there yeah you can hear what they're saying like like so like big picture like items Mm -hmm. were there and like once we got to the tail pop the first time i was like okay we have something right (laughs) we have something recorded and printed to tape so like we're cool and it works like on on, on like a, a macro level like it works it's and watchable and it's kind of like at what yeah. point like was i able to get done with that which i don't even remember but right. like as soon as i could get done with that and address those big picture things it's like all right let's go back and and kind of fine-tune things and really dig in and and as you're doing that you can always make sure you're always like checking yourself to make sure that the big emotional pieces mm-hmm. are intact and yeah. they work and they're they're flowing in and out of each other and it's all working like on a big level so after you've done a 10 hour eight hour whatever 12 hour 15 hour day of doing that how do you stop and then watch the film from top to bottom and then react to that or do you not do that how did you guys get like a world a bigger picture view to understand like is this all in context i think it was just going back through again mm-hmm. like so i did i think i did a first pass on my own okay and i just i didn't really ask a lot of questions probably mm-hmm. i was probably just like making a lot of yeah choices yeah like executive yeah. decisions and like just like taking all the ingredients mm-hmm. and like making what i wanted out of it right and based off of conversations and the pieces that jeff and joel provided and mm-hmm. stuff like that um and then for the Which second was cool pass, to watch like, yeah sure it was like such this focused thing well you've, you've been like, living with it now for like you know five thousand days yeah, and now yeah, you yeah. give it off to a guy who's seen it for the first time right, right? yeah which is what you want. And, but, but, you know, it's like there's gas in the car and he knows where he's going. <laughs> Brand you know, it's like, just yeah, like, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Like it was, it was so relieving for you to just start going. And, you know, cause it's like, I don't even know what to say. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, my role is so confused in this all of a sudden. And Tony just like took the baton and started fucking sprinting. <laughs> and it was like, hell yeah. And I'm sure I asked a couple questions sure. on that first pass. No, 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 like, this, like one question. <laughs> you stare at the back of your head for about two days. No, like, no, what, no, 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 no. Like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's like a, that's an incredible asset, I think, to a filmmaker because they want fresh eyes and like, 
what's the pulse of this film. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with not a lot of time. Like there it's not like I pre dubbed yeah. pre dubbed it where I, I had the time to like wrap my head around things and kind of make it something before you jump in. Like I had to kind of like wrangle the pieces sure. and like get it into some kind of shape, uh, whatever that means. And then like, I think whatever day, you know, we, I went around for the second pass, you like came up and sat next to me a lot. Mm-hmm. And like, we went through it together yeah. and I was like, okay, what do you think about this? Like I made it like this, but is this hitting like, you know, is this resonating with you? Is this how you want it to be? And like some of it sometimes is yes. And sometimes it was like, you know, we could do this differently. So yeah. like that second pass is where we like took more time and it became more of a collaborative kind of thing yeah. of like really digging in and like making sure like the pieces were fitting together right. You know, one thing that, that it made me think of that last question is just like it was so important for us to have been communicating so clearly and so much. And Tony gave so much of that just, you know, out of his collaborative nature. But there's no way he could have he could have just went with it that first pass, you know, like if we hadn't been communicating like this and this wasn't our conversation. Yeah, sure. You know, the sound was our collaborative yeah, conversation. Yeah, hard drive shows the Tony. He's like, all right, let's open the Pro 2 sessions. All right, what are we, what right. what's today? What are we working? Yeah, yeah, what are we yeah, yeah, yeah. today? Yeah. That was the case, obviously. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like he knew exactly yeah. what he wanted to do. We had been, we had lived right. in this world together for a while. I had watched it like several times. Yeah. And we'd had a lot of like conference calls mm-hmm. about various things. So I already feel like I had, I, I knew what you were talking about. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was on the same, we were on the same page in a sense. Totally. It was just like getting all the pieces and being able to kind of put it together. That's what I think I learned from this film for, for you, Brandon, is that yeah. there, there's a huge advantage of bringing in sound early on, even if they're not actually touching a fader or a mouse, like totally. the conversation is still worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. So for you guys, now that the film has played out or is playing out, um, what in your mind are some of the takeaways when you do see it with an audience? Like, how does that change your perception of the film and the work that you guys did? You haven't seen it yet, have you? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. 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 I actually, we were kind of talking about this before. Like, I don't know, man. It's always hard to watch it. Like (laughs) after, like there's like definitely a period of time. Like, I don't know. Like, because I always feel like there's more I could have done. Of course. Always. You know? So, like, part of me wants to see it because I want to, like, bring some friends and, like, check yeah, it out sure. and stuff like that. But, like, part of me feels like I'm just going to sit there the whole time. Like, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about for you, Brennan? Now that you've, I mean, how many times has it screened since South by? Uh, probably 30 times or so. Okay. 25, 30 times. Yeah. Uh, and we'll probably do 30 or 40 more before mm-hmm. it becomes widely available. Yeah. Um, it's it i i love it (laughs) i feel like we did it you know like i feel like it's such a visceral visceral experience you know like because i remember being which is so rare for me i remember being scared that it was too much and too loud sometimes you know like (laughs) that it that we were pushing it too hard Mm -hmm. you know and and coming off of my last film in pursuit of silence you know to this (laughs) yeah sure you know like it 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 definitely the threshold is different yeah and you yeah. know and in pursuit of silence the dynamics were were so much different where it's like almost no sound to mumbai you know right like of course yeah crazy yeah. Right, crazy yeah. loud and i watched the audience not react well to that you know the mumbai stuff which was the point but it was also like just too much sometimes mm. um 
and the quiet was too quiet sometimes, you know, and it was too extreme to keep a majority of the audience in. Mm. And so I was a little trigger shy this mm. time when it came to that, even though I knew that this was going to be the power of the thing. Um, so, and, and we did it, you know, like we, we pushed it. I, do you feel like we kept it like the, the faders up as, as loud as you would want to? I mean, sometimes, <laughs> not, not always. I hope, I mean, not always, yeah. I hope it, it's like dynamic in a sense where no, like, no, 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 that like you would have chosen personally, like, did it, was it, was it quite a bit quieter than you would have, like if, if we, if you had carte blanche. I maybe would have gone a little further sometimes, yeah. but like, I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of hard to. It's interesting too, because a lot of the settings are live shows. So like you're trying to go between a really well sounding thing and a live show atmosphere. Did you find that you were adding more room or verb to those live tracks? Ever? I did. I did sometimes because some okay. of those things were like just mono mics yeah. and like, I wanted it to be more lively yeah, sure. than that and stuff. Um, and those are, I think, the times when we push it the most, yeah. okay. which is what, like, I wanted it to be. So, like, you know, you're talking and, like, sometimes it gets dreamy and stuff like that. And then you go back to talking and then it's like a live show. So you have, like, the license to go over the top yeah. and be, like, loud and, like, have low end and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah. because you want it. You want that energy of, like, being at a show. And then you kind of come back down and then we're talking yeah. and... You, what would you, I guess, Tony, for you, what would your tip be to other filmmakers? What would you say to them? You know, if you're thinking about serious sound for a documentary, what things can they do to help? I think the most important thing we did, and we already talked about this, is having, hooking up really early okay. and like having these conversations really early because we were able to like really like get some emotional like moments in there. You know what I mean? And a lot of that came from, I feel like the way, you cut it and you kind of assembled it and put it together. And we had talked about that early on. You're like, I want to do these things. Like I want to tell this story and I want to use his lyrics to do it. And I was like, all right, man, good luck, dude. (laughs) And like you, but you did it. You totally like, you totally nailed it. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I mean, it it was just helpful to like have those conversations really early on. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's testament because, there is, I think, you know, even just thinking about that dynamics or, you know, I guess looking at the waveform of the film, Mm -hmm. like Tony told a story, you know, and you you know, the whole team, Jeff and, you know, it's like, it's all there. If you just look at it and you watch the builds and the breaks and everything that Joel did and blah, 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 where it's like, there is, it's not just this, this, you know, legible thing. It's like, there's a movie in in the way that this is mixed and how one scene hands off to another sonically more than than visually mm-hmm. or, or editing wise even. Yeah, a lot, a lot of audio transitions that are meaningful and kind of carry the story and connect Dave's Dave's story with what's going on. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think you guys did that really well. Which intentional, <laughs> intentional or not, it it ends up being the case. Brandon, for you, what what what's your takeaway of working with sound early? Because we can, we can understand that early collaboration is important. What was different this time around for you because of how this worked out? I mean, I think the biggest thing, my takeaway mm-hmm. is just like create a situation in which you get the most time possible okay. in the room with someone like Tony. Yeah, You know, where it's like, you know, that stuff can so easily be pushed to the back 
even, you know, it's like we talk about, we're talking about collaborating early and all this stuff, but, but even just like prioritizing the mix, mm -hmm. you know, and, and earmarking a lot of, of energy and money towards that, like can change an entire film. Like mm -hmm. I remember I was in film school and the mixers that did dances of the wolves told this story about how like that movie was a total disaster no it was the producer mm -hmm. how the movie was a disaster mm -hmm. like garbage can yeah and then the sound team came in and spent almost as long as the production, production yeah. and it you know won all these oscars you know and it's just right. like i believe that 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 makes total sense to me sure um and so yeah i would say prioritize this in post more than anything from you know from my point of view that's awesome it was also really helpful like you had a lot of like trust in in me and jeff and joel and stuff like that where it was like we had talked about a lot about what you wanted it to be but a lot about what we wanted it to be mm -hmm. and like you were able to like let us make something and you, you know what i mean it wasn't just about like what you wanted to be and we were just there to like serve that it, it, it was a really collaborative kind of thing where like you had a lot of trust in the team and like our tastes and our sensibilities mm. and like what we had to bring to the table yeah so it, it was cool to have you like give us so much freedom yeah to make you know put ourselves into it right and then like kind of collaborate with you to make it what you wanted it to be. You know what I mean? Totally. And it, you know, it's like it, the film and, and a lot of documentarians, like it's just such an isolating experience creatively. And then to get around people in post, you know, that, that have bring such incredible things to the table. The storytelling that possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, you know, all these artists, you know, it's kind of just like this, such an exciting thing to me. Like I have goosebumps right now. Thinking about <laughs> it actually. Like when, once we all started, you know, and like hearing these things where it's like, well, what if we do this? And you know, it's like, I'd never thought of that. Yeah, and yeah. This thing has only just lived inside my head. So it was like, I was just like pushing it as much as possible because yeah, sure. it's just like there's so much beauty coming out of these ideas and this interchange that it's just like the film's getting better every second we talk, you know. That's yeah. awesome. So I, the film is coming out. It's going to be coming out. You can go to bazanfilm.com, check it out and find out more. Um, I think there's like a great opportunity to see a music documentary in a theater, which is unique and different. Um, so thank you guys so much for sharing a little bit of the insight. I think I feel like documentaries are not not always meant to be this like sonic experience, but I've heard I've heard so many wonderful documentaries that just stand out and I think this is obviously one of them that's told really well. So congrats you guys. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks much.